May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable unto thee, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As many of you know, I work as a hospice chaplain, and I have the unique opportunity to see really remarkable things at the completion of life. And I've been asked, what is the most amazing thing that you have understood or taken away from that? Which, of course, is a very difficult question because there's so much that is amazing, so much that is about grace that occurs. But I would have to say at this stage of things that I would say that one of the most important things I've taken away is that it is a blessing and indeed it is a gift to know what it is you have. Now, that may sound rather self-evident, but let me assure you that at the end of life, especially with people who have dementia, that as life is fading and knowledge fades, that one of the great ironies, one of the great bittersweet things that occurs is that we do not sometimes remember what it is that we have. Sometimes it can be a blessing. Sometimes it is the ability to forget things that are painful. Other times it is something that is difficult painful for those around us because the very fiber of our lives together drains and goes and is replaced by sometimes a sense of nothingness. And it's painful. It's oftentimes very painful for the families. I mention this because at the outset of the great season after Pentecost, we are beginning that great journey that we walk until Advent, until almost Christmas time, walking in Jesus' footsteps, hopefully him walking along with us, and our attempting to do the things that we have learned throughout the great high seasons of Lent, Easter, Pentecost, Epiphany. And I would argue for you, that it is terribly important that we remember what it is that we have. Our gospel today is perhaps one of the most important pieces of evidence for why this matters and should matter to us. We have the occasion of the great wedding feast, and the master invites many people, and yet people are coming to the servant and saying, pray, excuse me, sir, I have oxen to attend, I have a wife, I have property I have to go to. And the wedding feast is lessened. Now, for those of us who look at the response of the master, who is admittedly and the account says he is angry. He wants to have the room filled and filled copiously. And so he says, go out and bring the poor, the maimed, the maimed, the lame, the halt. Fill it, fill it, fill it. And the servant does so. And then he comes back and says, there's still yet room. And he says, go out again and bring people in. And why is it? Because he says, for I tell you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, we can, I think, legitimately argue that that sounds kind of angry and maybe even a little bit petty. We can hear the anger. We can hear the upsetness in the master's voice. 
But that's a mistake. It's a mistake to see it that way. And the reason it's a mistake is that the master is holding to the idea that it is important to know what it is that you have. You see, the invite to the wedding feast is no mere small event. The invite to the wedding feast is a celebration of wholeness. It is a celebration of life, and it is a celebration of God and God's intent in our lives. And it is not to be missed. It is not to be belittled. It is not to be made less than the regular, everyday events of our lives. It is not an accident that we look at this particular account and that we set off into Pentecost, we set off into our journey with Christ in the world, serving him, doing what we are called upon to do. And what is that? To love God and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It is not an accident that we do it right after last week, which was the Feast of Corpus Christi. You may remember that in celebrating the gift of the Eucharist, we celebrate nothing less than God's giving his Son to enter into our lives and to do what? To abide with us and for us to abide in him. That is the only way. That is the only way that we can be equipped to be able, to be ready to go out those doors and to serve God in, and his church in the communities that we participate in. There is no other way. We're not going to do it of ourselves. It's not possible. We're broken. We're imperfect. We're incomplete. And we of ourselves cannot attain to the work that God has given us to do of our own merits. You may recognize the language from the epistle today in which the letter from John says, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. All who keep his commandments abide in him, and he in them. The task that we face moving forward into the summer and into the fall and into the lives that God has given us is how exactly is it that we are going to abide in Jesus Christ and he in us? It is nothing less than that. It is the reason we have been equipped with Easter. It is the reason that we have been equipped with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. It is the reason that we have been equipped with the gift of the Eucharist itself, of life itself at Corpus Christi. In short, we have been equipped. We have been given the tools necessary to walk in Christ's steps and to live the lives that he has given us. It is important to remember what it is that we have. It is a gift to remember what it is that we have because, in short, we cannot do what we need to do on this great walk after Pentecost unless we know what it is that we have. In the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen.